Hello, all you tear lovers out there. Yes, once again, it's time for Real Men Cry and Laugh with Tim Taylor and Chris Ye. I am Chris Ye, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, my wingman, the goose to my maverick, or maybe the maverick to my goose, or the rooster to my maverick. We'll see if we get into Top Gun. Tim Taylor, how you doing, Tim? You are wearing a headband. I am. Um it's it's a choice it's a okay. green one because i'm wearing my notre dame shirt but here th this is actually um it's actually breaking news um i'm getting my haircut you're getting your haircut why because i'm tired of managing this long hair <laughs> but it's so beautiful tim it is beautiful and but it will grow back thing is i won't won't have it till probably when i'm about 55 I just, now, I just can't deal how, with it. How man. how far back are you going to cut it? Are you going for like a buzz cut? You're going for like oh, a oh, not a buzz look? cut. No, it's, it, it'll probably be like a something cool with the top and then tight on the sides. Mm. I, my 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 hair guy's awesome. He's he's an artiste. Got it. Um, uh, and so uh, yeah, I just um, I was thinking about it. Like I actually was talking with a fellow comedian, and I'm like, do you know that um, you've only known me as the long hair guy? You know. And so, um, so what, what, do, what do you think from, from as the, the head of hair that I have to, uh, cutting it short, what do you think the most common response will be when people see me? Whoa, you cut your hair. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward. <laughs> now, if you're asking what is the emotional response, like once the shock sets in, I, mean, I think a lot of people like me will miss the long hair because it made you it, it sort of I, I would say that the long hair gave you a distinctive look that also was pulled together pretty well. Yeah. I think when you have the short hair, it's sort of like more of a corporate look and it doesn't fit with your personality as much. Oh, boy, you're, you're making me think about what kind of cut Craig's going to give me. I got to take this thing off. Yeah, maybe maybe I'll I don't know. It's just this is so much hair. And it, sometimes it looks like um, like it's really flat. And then it goes, it looks weird. Welcome like side, to being a woman. Sideshow Bob. <laughs> this is what women have to deal with all the time. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, one time I, I remember this, um, you know, those um, blow dry places, what are they called? Um, not blow dry, uh, blow out or whatever they're called. There used You're to be talking to the wrong guy for this. Okay. One. Well, there, there used to be this one place where women can come and get I think it's called the blowout or whatever it is, but like get their hair I done. I've heard the, the term blowout before. I think you're okay. correct. To, to get their hair done. And it was near my office of my former company. And there was a line of women about eight long because the place hadn't opened yet. I took a picture of it and I just said, to what lengths they go. And there were a couple of people who schooled me. It's like, look, we, this is an important part of what we do. Like, so anyway, absolutely. No, listen, I was just with a, a woman friend of mine relatively recently. We were having lunch. We were talking about, you know, how much effort she puts into what she wears. Yeah. And this is an incredibly successful woman has been an officer at publicly traded companies, helped them wow. go public. Wow. But it's still an important part of it. And I commented, I was like, you know, this is a classic example of sexism and patriarchy at work, because in Silicon Valley, once you get to a certain level of success, you can dress as schlubby as you want. And everyone will just assume it means that you're more powerful and intelligent. <laughs> I mean, that was one of the that was one of the things that Sam Bankman Freed was banking on, which is if I dress like a loser, everyone will think I'm a genius. What, what do you when you see his his um, afro? What do you, who do you think of? 
I thought of an earlier era Bob Dylan. Wow. I thought of Epstein from uh, the um, Sweat Hogs, from um, from Welcome Back, Welcome Cotter. Back Cotter, which but his is... was his was tighter. His was yeah. tighter. Yeah, I did not watch Welcome Back Cotter. It was sort of before my time, but I'm aware of Welcome Back Cotter, Gabe Kapler, John Travolta, John Travolta Vinny yeah. Barbarino, Ron yeah. Horshack, Ron Palillo. <laughs> right, right. Um, what what happened um, was that at the end of every show, uh, um, he would tell a joke um, that was cheesy, and uh, his wife would listen and enjoy it so um you know vinnie Barbarino you know used to um make his what was his famous word um up your nose with a rubber hose i was actually going to post a bunch of pictures up and see your nose everyone... with a rubber hose comes from welcome back cutter i had no idea maybe not maybe hmm. maybe not um anyway so uh so so my mr. hair mr cotter mr cotter mr cotter uh washington um yeah just i i just i the one thing i did think about is like I have friends and I'm now a playwright and there's this part where it's like, Oh, let's invite Tim. So I can be like a token long hair artistic guy. That's a bad thing. No, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, I'm just saying so, so it's like, I think people, some people here, I'm going to get a haircut and they're like, Oh my God, we're losing that. You know what I mean? Well, it's, it's, again, it's a, a clear signal to folks, right? It, it, they think to themselves, clearly he doesn't work for Goldman Sachs. Jamie Dimon would have ripped the hair out by the roots if he showed up like that. That's true. Well, you know, we, we all have our things to get prepared for and, and, and get ready for. And I happen to know that uh, you recently went something, went through something that is the ultimate, um, one of the ultimate get prepared for, and then it happens, uh, which is what? Well, just recently, my mm -hmm. wife and I went and dropped off our daughter, Marissa, at college. Now, you'll note, I always call her Marissa, but now that she's an adult and she's at college, I'm going to go with her preferred pronunciation, which is Marissa. Okay, Marissa. Yeah, I always got to confuse with you and your wife because I'm not you and your wife, her and, her and your wife, because I, I don't know who has the E's. So it's Marissa. Got it, Marissa. Uh, how, how was it? Like, first of all, emotionally, how was it? So there are so many different levels to this. Okay. So the first thing, of course, is, you know, let's go all the way back to when you're thinking about having kids. Yeah. And, you know, when we thought about having kids, we were sort of planning out the ages and figuring out how old we'd be when the kids yeah. were going off to college and so on and so forth. And so I went through this whole set of calculations and assuming that we were able to have uh, our child a first child relatively quickly and then wait another two years and have a second child and that sort yeah. of said okay well here are the rough ages that it'll be okay. and even though this wasn't the primary goal we ended up being okay well i'll have two kids before the age of 30 okay. which means that barring a kid skipping a couple grades like me which again was a possibility <laughs> But barring that, you know, I would be 47, 48 years old when it came time to drop off my second child at college. Got it. And then the idea would be, oh, my gosh, well, you know, that's still pretty young. There's still yeah. a lot of different things you can do then. And, you know, wow, you know, you're now footloose and fancy free and and you're an empty nester. And so all of these things are roaming around. And then you have the reality of actually having your child, your daughter mm -hmm. in this case. And you know this very well from your yes. daughter, Zoe. Right. And the reality of having a child is so different than what you thought it might be before you That's had true. your kid. That's true. And it's both harder 
but also you feel things that you you know again you only thought about abstractly right? right how much you care about your children how important they are to you how terrified you are if if they're sick or unwell right how much it hurts you if if they're not feeling great about themselves and but also you know the frustration oh my goodness you know why can't they keep this straight why can't they why can't they pay attention why do they always bang the car door so hard and so right. on and so forth so it's a whole stew of things leading up to the point at which you have to drop your child off at college now one of the things that i've said all along is i've tried to maintain a balanced approach you know me i'm a very balanced kind of guy even for sure. healed if you will for sure and so I said, well, you know, we have to look at it from the long term, which uh -huh. is over the course of our children's lives, they're going to spend a lot more time without us than That's with true. us. Yes. And so even though it's this big transition for us, recognize that it's an important point for them. They're stepping into their actual adult life. They're right. off to a great adventure. And at the end of the day, when it comes to this particular adventure, well, of course, we're always the star of our own story. In this case, you know, we're the supporting character, we're the supporting yeah. cast, we're the mentor dropping the person off, you know, we, we have to recognize that's our place here. This yeah. is not one of the ones where we're the starring character. Right. And label on, on top of that is the fact that, you know, back when the kids were young, Alicia was like, oh, my God, I looking so much looking forward to the day when the kids are packed off to college and they're grown up and we don't have to deal with all this stuff. And I said, you mm -hmm. know, you're going to miss it when the time comes yeah because it doesn't matter how hard it is they are a key presence in your life they're such an important part of your life and it's not natural for this to suddenly change and then all of a sudden you're like oh well yeah that that was easy you just move on to this next phase because that's not the way human nature is right we have trouble with abrupt transitions and this is one of the most abrupt not the most but one of the most abrupt transitions so all of that comes together and so, but then, you know, what happened was we were just overwhelmed with the pragmatic and practical elements that nobody remembers afterwards, but are the most important things. So okay. can we fit everything into the car? Right. That's a good question. Right? That's a big question. How do we fit things in? What do we need to leave out? Yeah. Where are we going to find parking when we get there? Very good question. Very good question. Is there going to be enough room in the apartment to unload all this stuff? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then also, you know, this is a period of time where California is going through these atmospheric rivers. So we're going to be driving across the state with every freeway flashing sign saying, do not travel right now. <laughs> and where should you go? Just so our listeners, are you, are you comfortable saying? Yeah, yeah. So this, this is this is not something we have to conceal. So Marissa is at USC, the University of Southern cool. California. OK, cool. The favorite school of Hollywood and yep. Instagram influencers everywhere. Although she's <laughs> going to focus on environmental sciences. Thank you. Okay. God. All right. Got it. So she's going to be a USC Trojan. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So, so the, the whole point of this is yes, there's all these emotions going on. There's all these things, these long running threads, but they're overcome in the moment by the fact that it's like, oh my God, there's fog. How do we get these lights are not bright enough? How do we turn on the fog lights? Where yeah. are we going to stop for gas? Okay, you know, is the parking, do you have the parking permit? Where's the parking permit? Do we park on the first floor? Or do we park on the second floor? Right. And so you go through all this and it doesn't really hit you until afterwards because in the moment there's stuff you got to worry That's about. That's exactly right. That is exactly right. And so then afterwards, what is the feeling? Well, you know, it is a feeling of accomplishment because this is 
what we became parents to do to mm -hmm. raise somebody who was going to go off and live their own life. So right. of course, that's a feeling of accomplishment and, you know, seemed like she was very happy with USC. Uh, we can talk a little bit more about USC, which is an institution I have some mixed feelings about because of many, many decades of history, but which uh -huh. I think is a really good choice. And, but in addition to that, there's just this sense of absence, right? All of a sudden, somebody who is a part of your life all the time is not. And at the same time, I'm like, you have to resist the temptation to, you know, call her up and text her, message her. I mean, yeah, I know this is what parents do these days, the helicopter parent, but I'm like, no, she's got her own life now. And yes. we should be there for her when she needs us. Yes. But, you know, she should not feel like she has to devote time to us when really she should be devoting time to her new life and, and really getting the most out of it. Right. But like today, she FaceTimed us briefly. Uh, and, you know, it was Misty, our dog, misses Marisa very much as well. Aww. She goes into the room and she's always waiting and hoping that Marisa will be coming back. And obviously she will eventually. Uh -huh. But, you know, it, it's she FaceTimed us and, and Kobe and Misty perked up her ears and was listening and everything like that. So, you know, it's an adjustment, but it's yes. only been a week or two. It's only it's been less than a week. It's been exactly a week uh, since we dropped her off. And so, you know, we're going to adjust, we're going to adapt. Yeah, but the other part of it is, you know, all these best laid plans are, are go, you know, gone off the glay, as they say. Off the what? So the, the glay? quote is the best laid plans of mice and men gone off a glay. A glay. A glay. A -G -A apostrophe G-L something? A-G-L-A-Y. What was that other word you used a few day, a few times ago that was fancy but not really applicable? I can't remember, but I'm it's glad. hard to it's hard to to remember because I use a lot of words with a lot of <laughs> syllables that most people don't. It just means that you have these best laid plans, yeah. and yeah. It, again, the typical English translation is the best laid plans of mice and men go astray. Yeah, in this case, gong off the glay is the actual quote. Okay. But, you know, going astray is is part of it. So, you know, you picture to yourself that you're going to, oh, my gosh, incredible freedom. But then you forget, well, first of all, we have a dog that we have to take care of. And second yeah. of all, we have Alicia's parents living with us now. And so that requires some time and energy and effort as well. And Jason's still at home because he's going to school locally. And so yep. it's not this grand freedom that, you know, you picture in your mind. It's just different. Yeah. Well, she's not home. Yes. From where there was four, now there's three. Yes. I remember my brothers going off to college. Um, the, the two of them, we, we were every two years. I remember the, the oldest one, it was a big deal. Second one, it wasn't that big a deal. And the third one, he was in there for a semester and left. But, um, uh, you know, th there is actually a an incredible film about this helicopter parenting stuff you're talking about called Shithouse. It, it's not written that way. It's, there's like a star in the eye and it was written, directed and by some guy named Cooper Rafe. I watched mm. it. It was so powerful. That talks about exactly like he has trouble. The, the word is individuating. He has trouble individuating because his mom wants to hear from him every day. Um, so uh, how did Alicia take it? Alicia. 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 Yes. No, that's the confusing Marissa, part, right? Alicia, Alicia yeah, yeah. is the white weight is should be pronounced, even though it's spelled Alicia. It's a long. I probably mispronounced story. it for I, I probably I'm probably 50 percent with her. She just never corrects me. Well, you know, again, this is the nature of names. So right. Marissa is spelled M-A-R-I-S-S-A. -S -S Correct. I actually preferred the one S spelling of Marissa, which oh. is M-A-R-I-S-A. -S 
but Alicia preferred two S's and okay. she pointed out that she was the one carrying the baby. So I <laughs> allowed that that presumably made sense. I think that this is a good, yep. good approach to take. Uh -huh. For Alicia, her own name is spelled A-L-I-S-H-A. Her mother spelled it that way because the Puerto Rican pronunciation of A-L-I-C-I-A, which is the conventional spelling, would be Alicia. Alicia. And she wanted her daughter to be Alicia, not Alicia. However, okay. when you see A-L-I-S-H-A, most people pronounce it Alicia because Alicia, in right. the United States, that's how uh, conventional pronunciation would be. So there's confusion all around. But the well, point so wait, is just one quick thing. Alicia one quick Marissa. Okay, one quick note. I'm going to Puerto Rico. We, I got to talk to your wife. Really? Yes, yeah, so I'm going to Puerto Rico for a wedding. Uh... I paid for it long ago before I became a... Uh, uh, man uh looking for uh employment but um i'm look i'm looking forward to it anyways how did she take it uh she took it pretty well but hold on when are you going to puerto rico april april okay well you know we'll 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 have some conversation about it obviously we actually have not been to puerto rico for a while but there's a lot of things you should do and of course you can check out the crypto scene while you're there that's <laughs> right i forgot about that <laughs> totally cool so how did she take it you know again i think it's uh, it's it's a sense of loss in the sense that Marissa is not around anymore. It's something again we've looked forward to. Mm -hmm. uh, I will say that you know she has continued to like look at uh, Life three hundred and sixty and her location and which classes she's at. Oh, and she's like, it. oh no no, this will eventually pass away. I just need it for now. It's the methadone, yeah. if you oh, will. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so you know that's but and of course we're looking forward to her coming back for spring mm -hmm. break and, totally. and other things like that. But you know it's a new phase, and yeah. I just look back and I say, well, you know, just look at your own life, right? You know, once once you left, you were gone, and you'd be back for summers, but you were never going to be back permanently. Same for me when I went off to college. And that's just something parents have to accept. And it's a part of, you know, it's a part of a success, right? If you do that, you've been successful as a parent. I don't think it ever occurred to me when I went to college. I was, I was so happy to get to college at Marquette. Um, I do know when I went up to um, San Francisco for my first job, which I was paid $27,500 for. Which was good way. money back then. Good money. Very good money um, for KPMG which I never should have taken that job. Oh my God. No, and but you know, again, we've talked about this before. Yes. Accounting's in the blood and you wanted to be a part of the family. And so you made these decisions for the wrong reasons, but right. you know, again, it didn't, it worked out in the end. Right. Exactly. Um, so uh, I, the, the thing I liked about what you said was the finality of it. There's like this hectic activity and then there's a finality to it. And I go, yeah. I, I, um, I, uh, we we did everything with Zoe and then I um, took her back. I, I had a, like a one block walk with her where I was trying to hold it together. And then we said goodbye and I cried at the very end. Um, but you know, the, the thing is, is like, she's going to uh, USC, which you have some issues with. Um, but we'll you're talk happy about that, but I'm yeah. happy about it ultimately. Uh, do you want to talk about it now? Sure. If you like. Yeah. What, what's, what's your issues? Well, here, here is the basic issue, which okay. is that I grew up in Southern California in LA mm -hmm. and I grew up in a UCLA household. Ah, so my father has a PhD from UCLA. My sister ultimately had, my sister has a bachelor's from UCLA uh -huh. and UCLA is our hometown college, okay. kind of like Notre Dame was for you. Right. And USC and UCLA are the arch rivals. Right. And USC was a very different school back then as well. USC for a long time 
was known by its sobriquet, the University of Spoiled Children. Yes. Because it was the place where the rich people of Southern California sent their kids if they weren't good enough to get into UCLA or yes. the Ivy League colleges or other things like that. Yes. Uh, so as a result, it had a reputation, which was actually deserved. It's yes. one of these paradoxes, as somebody would put it, where it's like, well, the private school for the wealthy is located in the middle of some of the city's yes. urban environments, shall right. we say. Yeah. And the public university is located in the idyllic west side of rich people <laughs> That's interesting, next to right? Beverly Hills. It's like right. kind of strange. Why right. would you put the public university next to Beverly Hills and the private university next to the projects? It doesn't Great make question. sense. Uh -huh. Great question. And so, you know, I just, and, I, and again, I grew up and went to Stanford uh, which was, you know, I, I'd gone and taken classes at UCLA, so I actually have been a UCLA student as a high school student. There was a program that let me take classes there. And then I went to Stanford, and USC is also one of the traditional rivals of Stanford University. Of course, Cal is ah, our biggest rival. Right. But uh, USC is also one of our traditional rivals, as is Notre Dame, oddly right. enough. Right, they are. And so, you know, USC continued to be the rival school. And so we'd root against them at every turn and insult the university every chance I got. Now, about almost 20 years ago now, 15, 15 years ago, probably 15 years ago, our dear friend, Ben Kaznoka, who is responsible yes. for bringing us together. We got to get him on the show, Ben. We should. He's a busy guy. That's the problem. He he, you know, he's, he's big time in us. Yeah, he's big time. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll send him, a, we got to send him an invitation. It's, it's going to be 20 minutes and this is the benefit for everybody. That's right. We'll all get out of it. You got to be, you got to be very rational. He's a very, yeah. very rational guy, yeah. except when it comes to his dog. Now oh he, man, he's he, like a big, big softy. I knew, I knew that there was a crack in the armor somewhere. <laughs> Okay, so, so 15 years ago. 15 years ago, Ben's talking about going to colleges yeah, and which that. colleges he's going to apply to. And he mentions a list of them. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one. And he mentions USC. I'm like, why would you want to go to that garbage university? <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? It's like, USC sucks. He's like, no, it's actually one of the best schools on the West Coast. What the hell are you talking about? And I went to do my research because, you know, I believe in not just arguing based on the past, but arguing based on actual facts and what's been going on. And lo and behold, while I wasn't looking, USC had reinvented itself. Oh, so this is actually very similar to what Stanford did in the post-World War II era. In many ways, prior to World War II, Stanford University was the USC of the North. Oh, interesting. And it was a place where the rich people of Northern California would send their kids oh. if they weren't smart enough to get into the East Coast colleges or into UC Berkeley. Okay. But in the post-World War II era, Stanford then turned things around and became what it is today, which is by most, uh, by most accounts, the number two university. I don't think, I think that Harvard gets the boost up to number one for legacy reasons. Again, I'm like, no, no, Stanford should be number one. But the, you know, what can you do? It's right. a lot of history there. Right. So USC had done something similar, which is to say they upgraded the campus, they upgraded mm -hmm. the faculty, they upgraded the student body. The school that used to be the University of Spoiled Children, which is the province of rich white people, is now the most diverse, the fourth most diverse student body among the top 25 universities in the country. Wow. Which I never would have that? guessed. Never would have guessed. And so as a result, it's now actually a really good school. It's one of the... Uh, I believe it's astonishing. Like California has maybe seven or eight schools in the top 25 mm -hmm. in the country. 
which is pretty remarkable. Yeah. And it's, of course, you know, the ones you would expect, Stanford, Berkeley, yeah. UCLA, but also USC. Also, your daughter's alma mater, soon to be alma mater, UC right. Davis. Davis is a great school. Uh, which is a fantastic school as well. And all of these schools are here in California, and they've all risen in, in the rankings and, and yeah. become, you know, some of the top universities in the world, and USC among them. And the advantage of USC, which I didn't really appreciate until I got there, is that it occupies a sort of, I would call it a mid-sized school. So here's what I mean. Stanford and Harvard yeah. are small, relatively small schools. They're right. big in comparison to the liberal arts college, but they're relatively small schools. A freshman, right. an incoming freshman class for Stanford or Harvard is about 2,000 students. Okay. When I was a freshman, it was 1,600. So okay. Stanford has grown by 25% since then, but nevertheless, it's still relatively small. <clears throat> A UCLA is, has a student body where it brings in seven or 8,000 freshmen in a class. Okay. So it's many times the size. It's yeah. much more impersonal. And it's reflected in the level of service that the individual students get. Yeah. The, the, when I was at UCLA taking classes, the students would often comment about just how little the administration seemed to care for them and how few resources they had, even though, of course, they had the resources of a great university, the best faculty. Nobel Wait, does that, mean, does that mean UCLA has like 30,000 students? Yes. Way bigger than that. Okay, cool. No, no it has 30,000 undergraduates. Undergraduates. It right. has okay, another 50,000 grad students. Okay, got it. Got so it. it's an 80,000 student university. Okay, got it. Okay. So that's the that's the bigger one, smaller one, Stanford. Is is USC in between? And USC is mid-size. It's about 4,000 students in a freshman class. Okay. And so it provides more of the smaller school experience, and yeah. again, smaller being relative, that a UC, that a Stanford or uh, or Harvard might provide. Uh, and but at the same time, you know, it ha offers the benefits of being this major university inside one of the world's most famous cities. Yeah. So, you know, there's the, like, for example, when we had we'd already driven back home and on Saturday she was saying, oh, uh, well, it turns out the Jonas Brothers are here in concert. And so oh, we're course. just going to go see them. And she got like tickets for $17 and the concert, the concert arena is one block from the oh university. Oh my gosh. Right. All this stuff is just right there. It's yeah. nuts. So ultimately I think it's, is, uh, I complained a couple of times because I, that's what I do. I like to complain, <laughs> not that much, but about a few things. Mm -hmm. I complained bitterly that, you know, she'd been waitlisted at UCLA and gotten into USC when the other way around would have saved me so much money. <laughs> But in the end, A, USC has a better program for what she wants to study, uh -huh. and B, I actually do think it's going to provide a better experience. And as part of the orientation, you know, as we were there as, as parents to, to be a part of it, and it's just apparent how much school spirit there is, how much the students care about their identity as Trojans, uh -huh. how much the faculty and staff are, are really into it. And again, in contrast, because Alicia was like, yeah, we had nothing like this at Harvard. And I was like, this is almost exactly the way it was at Stanford. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Here's the thing about USC and UCLA for me. Yeah. It's so strange that the two schools that are supposed to be big competitors, one is really good in basketball, almost always. And the other one's really good at football, almost always. Like elite. Yes. And so I don't even know how you call that a rivalry. It's like, Cal, I remember the when I first moved out here in um, 
1991 and I was at work and someone said, hey, are you going to the big game this weekend? I was like, is Notre Dame playing USC? And they're like, no, Cal's playing Stanford. I'm like, I've never heard of that. I've never heard of Cal versus Stanford. But uh, Oh, but you saw the highlights from 1982 and the band is on the field. The that's the, on the that, field. that's yes. what big game is most famous for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, it's just, <laughs> but the big game actually, like the rivalry is understandable because it is true every once in a while, one of the two programs is far superior to the other one. But generally speaking, they're all kind of, they're both middling most of the time. So there is a competition there. But um, uh, so, yeah, I went, to, I, went, I went to go see USC play Notre Dame when my friend was there. But that sounds awesome. I'm happy for, her, man. Turned out awesome. Yeah, no, I think it, it all worked out very well. And, you know, again, we'll have to see, right? That you don't know what the future is going to hold. Right. So this, I, I, what time is it? We, we got, we got time. Because uh, we, we got to make sure we get in Real Man Cries a lot of examples. Very um, true. Uh, so let me think about this. Because this it's like a two-pronged question. So did you see the movie Arrival? Yes. Uh, okay. I haven't seen the whole movie. I've seen big chunks of it. Okay. So we should uh, re we should recap the movie briefly for those people who have not seen it, because it, while it was a very successful movie, it wasn't like an Avengers movie or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I can only recap the end. Can you recap some of the story? I'll recap it briefly. Basically, yeah, what happens is aliens come yeah. to Earth and we're having trouble communicating with them. And the person in charge from our end on communicating with them is Amy Adams. She's a scientist. Well, the actress is Amy Adams. That's not the name of her character. She's a scientist and she is trying to figure out how to communicate with the aliens. And meanwhile, this is against a geopolitical backdrop. There's tension with China yeah. that's going mm -hmm. on. And ultimately things are resolved in the fact that she's able to communicate with the aliens and through the aliens communicate with an important general on the Chinese side and defuse the sort of tensions that exist. Okay. And, and ultimately it is a happy ending, yes. sort of, because there's a twist and yeah. you're gonna get into the twist too. Yeah, yeah, so the twist was uh, Amy Adams, you can correct me where I'm wrong, if I remember correctly, a Amy Adams' character had a, uh, a, a deadly disease, I think it was cancer. Um, and she had a little girl. And um, I, I'm not, I don't know the twists and turns of it. All I remember is at the very end or near the very end, someone whispered into her ear back then telling her what was gonna happen to that point. And uh, I, I think somebody said, if I, you're gonna have to get it from me because the only thing I remember- I'll, is, give you, I'll give you the spoiler alert, yeah, spoiler warning. So here's what happens. What we discover is that the aliens perceive time differently than we do. Okay. And instead of living it in a linear fashion, they're able to actually go back and forwards in time. Yeah. And this is why it's wow. so difficult to communicate with them. <laughs> and this is why ultimately Amy Adams has this breakthrough because the way she diffuses the tensions is she's able to understand something that uh, that she's able she's able to know for the Chinese general something that his wife who was pat who who passed away told him before that nobody she had nobody had ever told. He never told anyone else. And so right. this is one of the ways it works. The twist is that we discover, you know, we've seen this movie and we've seen that she has a daughter who is ill and passes away. Oh, right. Jesus. Okay. And the twist is that that's her in the future. And back in the present, she has been working with this other scientist played by Jeremy Renner. And uh -huh. they have this chemistry. And what she realizes is that she's seen the future, which is that if they get together, they will get married, they will have this daughter, 
they will get divorced oh, and this daughter right. will pass away. Right. And this is okay. the future that she has seen. And she knows this is what lies ahead and she cannot change it. And she says, I don't remember exactly what she said. I think I, the thing I remember by why I was way off, but here's, here's the only thing I, the, the one main thing I remember is she sees the future and someone's like, if you knew it, would you still do it? And she's like, yes, I would yes. do it. And I walked, I, I was in tears at that movie. I walked out. It was in the Marine. I walked out and we were in the lobby and there's like, I don't know, eight or 10, like they're much younger than me. And we we're all sort of walking around dazed because yeah. we didn't like understand what just happened. I, I wanted, I, I told Rose that, that the woman I was dating at the time, I was like, I think we need to get everybody over to coffee or something. Like, like let's all talk this through because this is an amazing um, uh, end to it. Thank God you remembered it better than I did. I should, um, <laughs> God, you saw bits and pieces and you know better. I, I've only seen it once. Um, so the question is like, you know how my memory is. Yeah. Uh, your memory's spectacular. Um, let's start with you. So if yeah. you knew, what was going to happen in 10 years and you couldn't do anything about it, would you want to know? Yes. Why? I believe you can't that, change it, right? You can't yes, change, you can't it. change okay. it. Okay. But knowing what's to come, you can appreciate more the things that you might not otherwise appreciate as much. Oh, interesting. And you can prepare yourself for the things that you might need to endure. And this is one of those things where, again, maybe this is a product of the way I watch movies. Okay. Which is, you know, when I watch movies, I will read the reviews of the movies first. I never go into a movie cold. Oh, okay. And usually, though I try to avoid it, I try to avoid learning all the details. I know a lot about what's going to happen in a movie before I go into it and watch right. it. Right. But that's just the natural state for me with movies. And okay. so it's very rare that I go into a movie and I don't know what the big twist is going to be if it's one of these twist movies. Wait a minute. Does that mean you knew Kaiser Soze and Usual Suspects before you – have you seen it? Yeah. And you knew Kaiser Soze was Kevin Spacey? I didn't know that he was Kevin Spacey, okay. but I knew that it was – you know, somewhat unexpected okay, and it. that it cool. was one of the people anyways. Okay. Anyway. So, so I, and it's things like that or knowing, Oh, in this, uh, in this movie, this main character dies or so yeah. on and so forth. Like all these things, I know going into the movie, what's going to happen. Okay, cool. So, and that doesn't ruin my appreciation for the movie. The fact that okay. I know how it's going to end or the fact that I know who's going to live or die doesn't mean I don't, you know, enjoy the movie doesn't mean I don't feel suspense because even though you know what tragedy is going to happen or you yeah. know what triumph is going to happen, you're still rooting for the triumph to happen. You're still rooting against the tragedy. You're still hoping that maybe this time the ending will be different, even though each time you know that this person is going to betray their ideals or this person is going to fall into this trap. Right. So even if you look forward and it was an adverse thing, like you were like, I would still want to know. Now, let me add, let me add something further to that, right, in, in terms of looking forward. And this is something I thought about when I saw the bits and pieces of Arrival, because it is an, an incredible question to ask, right? If you knew that your child would die young of yeah. a tragic, tragically of a disease, would you still go ahead and do that? And part of it is the key point, die young. Every life we bring into this world will eventually end, right? It all yeah. ends. We yeah. all die. In many ways, that is the great equalizer, right. right? No matter who you are, you cannot escape that. 
And we just saw this recently. We saw recent news of Lisa Marie Presley, the daughter yeah. of Elvis Presley, the most famous entertainer who ever lived, probably. Yes. Mm -hmm. And she had a difficult life in some ways. And again, part of it, you can grow up rich and famous, but at the same time, it doesn't mean your life is going to be easy. And do you go and say, well, you know, I if I know that this person is not going to live their full life, does it mean that it wasn't worth living at all? And the answer is no, right? I mean, it, 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 the reason Amy Adams' character makes the choice she makes in Arrival is she truly loves her daughter. Yeah. She truly That's loves her daughter. Tears. Yeah. And she would rather accept the premature ending of that relationship yeah. than sacrifice the true love that she felt. But that's something that we all feel. You brought, you, you know, Zoe is the most important person in your life, Tim. That's correct. In all likelihood, you will die before she does. And that you right. fervently hope, actually. Right, right. And someday she will die. Right. Does that mean it wasn't worth bringing her into this world? Does it mean it wasn't worth bringing you into this world? The answer is no, right? We sometimes, maybe it's possible. There are certain extreme cases where that might be true. But for the most part, we know it's going to end badly. We know we're yeah. going to go old. We're going to lose our abilities. Just recently, um, Alicia's uh, Alicia's mom's brother-in-law, her eldest sister's husband, passed away. He was 92. We first heard he was going to the hospital, and we knew he was mm -hmm. been going downhill for a while, so it wasn't entirely unexpected. But still, you know, a blow. It's still an emotional blow to Alicia's mom and to some extent her dad because this is somebody they've known for decades. I met him in person once when we went to – Puerto Rico. He was a kindly man. He gave me a bunch of fresh coconuts because he oh, nice. saw that I love fresh coconuts. He would get them from his tree and I would eat them. Uh, as Alicia put it, he also said all sorts of wildly racist things, but <laughs> you know, that's what happens with older people. Yeah. And you look at all that and you say, well, look, it's going to end for all of us. And so you just got to do the best you can along the way and, and recognize that this is, if this is all you've got, make the most of it. Let me tell you something. If I was just rewatching the, the show, The Bear on mm -hmm. Hulu, mm. if someone told me there's eight episodes and I can only watch six, I would not watch it. Really? Why would I do that? I don't see how everything's resolved. Well, you wouldn't see how everything's resolved. Do you get to see how everything in your life is resolved? Do you get to see how your grandchildren turn out? Do you get to see how your great grandchildren no, turn that's out? True. You don't. But we're talking about my series. I die in the series. That's the end. <laughs> This, that, that would be like a spinoff, you know, Zoe Taylor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think if, because the other, the other angle is, um, and this, you know what this is? This is uh, everything everywhere, uh, everything everywhere all at once. Yes. Did you see that movie? I have not. I've been waiting okay. to see it. Okay. It's incredible. But one, I, without spoiling it, one of the things is that sort of, if you had chosen this path, this is what it would look like. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just, I say to myself, um, it's a tough decision for me to say, would I want to be where I am today? I mean, Zoe aside, because she's amazing, but um, would I would I want to have to have had gone through what I went through um, today? Would I want to? It's like, I'm not sure. I'm Having not sure. sat through the father-daughter dance, I can tell you, I <laughs> wish. Right. I wish that you hadn't gone through that because there are memories, secondhand memories now seared into my brain that I cannot unsee. <laughs> Well, that, that's the whole thing, right? Well, what, what happens if it's like a, for me, like if 10 years from now, like I'm on the streets, like, would I want to know that? I don't know. 
Well, again, I think that if you knew that, yeah. wouldn't it make the time now more precious? Well, I mean, what I would love is if I knew it, I would like to know when it happened. You know what I'm saying? Right. Because let's let's well, so, uh, the it's, assumption it's, is you get a you, know, you get some sort of timeline, some sort of impression of how things are going to go, versus you're going to die on this date in this location. So, so now, so now we've got like a folder with tabs for every every two years. This is what's going to happen. Like, yeah, exactly. It's kind of yeah. like a Wikipedia article. <laughs> exactly. But that, then again, I that would be interesting because people could edit my life. Like people would just free freehand edit my life. There would be edit wars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the thing about Arrival that was just to me, it's just like, what's the worst thing that can happen to a parent? The worst. Yeah, that's absolutely lose the your worst. child. Yeah, that's absolutely the worst. And and that and I know that because when my brother took his own life, my mom, my dad for sure. I think my yeah. mom too was never the same. And um, to that, that that's what really got me is like God to know that kind of pain. Yeah. Um, would you want to know what Marissa's life is in ten years? Sure. You couldn't tell her, and you couldn't change it. Yes. What would you do? Like I said, uh, I would be able to better savor and appreciate the high points. Uh -huh. And even if I couldn't do anything to change the low points, I could at least do my best to prepare myself for them. Got it. I mean, so this again, is back to your movie analogy. This is back to my movie analogy. Like, look, it, when things happen to us, yeah, there are always going to be good things and bad things that happen to us. Yes. And especially when bad things happen to us, what happens is we, we, we are basically in emotional shock. Yes. We, we don't know what to do. And it takes a while for us to process and figure out what to do. And even if you can't change and you can't keep bad things from happening, if you are prepared for those bad things to happen, if you can, you know, move past the shock more quickly. Yeah. Ameliorate and change and do what you can to to help people process it, then that's a good thing. So so would you say you were prepared for the drop off? This is I would say I, I, I would say I was reasonably prepared for okay, the reasonably prepared. Right. Because again, what I did is I did what, you know, maybe other people, I don't know if you did this, I'd be curious. I went back and sort of thought about my own experiences. Mm -hmm. And I thought about how excited I was. Yeah. I thought about how I didn't particularly think that much about my family the first couple of days because I was so busy. There were so many things going on, so many new yeah. things to do. And that made me think, well, this is the natural order of things. And the fact is, it feels abrupt to drop Marissa off, and then that's it. And once you know, once the the once the ceremony, the uh, orientation ceremony was done, I was like, I knew she was going to send us on her way as quickly as possible. She didn't need us hanging around any longer, and I didn't feel badly about that because I'm like, that is what she should do. She should dive fully into this new life. And she should, well, all she knows that we're here to support her. We're here to help her. And she can call on us for anything at any time. But it's her new life that she well, needs to focus on now. So if you had known all the practical stuff that you handled that you didn't know you're going to have to handle, mm -hmm. would you have wanted to known that going in? Of course. Then we Why? could have done it much more smoothly. <laughs> well, that's interesting because I would think it's because, First of all, I arrived really early for Zoe, so I got a great spot, and I got a, one of those blue containers. Everybody was using them. Yeah, but I would think that if it if it freed up time for you, you might be able to ponder it a little bit more and maybe even enjoy it a little bit more. Right, that too. 
right? Being right. able to not worry about it being, would allow you to concentrate on the experience more. Now, yeah. whether that's a good thing or a bad thing is another question. I think it's a good thing. I think that you should go ahead and experience things fully if you can, especially if it's something that it is ultimately a positive, right? Dropping your child off at college is a moment of triumph, even if it sometimes feels like it's, you know, something that is uh, a great and painful transition. Yeah. I mean, the the flip side of that, by the way, is when I went, when I had to go pick up my daughter for COVID. Hey, did you, I was walking around the other day yeah. and it just, I was like, we went through a global pandemic. Yes. That is crazy. Yes. That is crazy that we went through a global pandemic. And um, uh, I don't know, just like all of a sudden occurred to me that uh, this was, this is something that we all went through. Um, and it shows you just how resilient humanity is and how resilient their own minds are, right? Sometimes you forget these things. Like at least I, so I notoriously, you, you know, I have an incredible memory. Right. Incredibly you great do. memory. You do. But I notoriously am able to forget things, forget the unpleasant things. And I can still call up those memories if somebody asks me about them. It's not like it's gone from my mind. Right. But my brain will just not pick it up. My brain will just be like, yeah, you know, that wasn't so good. Let's not bring it up unless we have to. Yeah, got it. Um, and it feels like that's the kind of thing we've done collectively. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, let's let's try it. Did you watch Love Boat when you were a kid? Yes, all the time. Okay, uh, the, the quiz is going to be, do you know all the real names of the actors? Okay. Oh, uh, uh, that is, I'm not going to be able to get all of them, I'm afraid. But Well, I'll you're going to know the bartender for sure, right? So the bartender. He was Ted Lang. I'm pretty sure. Ted Lang? I Might thought that be. was his name. Um, do you remember who, who Dr. Adam Bricker was? Yes, Bernie Capel. <laughs> the great Bernie Capel. Do you remember who the, uh, what was it called? Um, let's see. The purser. That is, it is, Ted Lang. Ted Lang, uh, great. Yeah, who was, who, who was the woman? Is that the purser? No, no, the cruise director. Okay, cruise director. So who is Julie McCoy? Do you remember? I do not remember. Lauren Tweez. I don't know. I okay. Anyways, and then we'll, we'll do one more. No, let's not do any more because you're not, you're not getting Well, no, no. I, I was going to say, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't hit the ones I would definitely know, like Fred Grandy. Yeah, who I was going to say Gopher. Gopher, who eventually <laughs> ran for Congress and was a congressman. Oh, my God. I didn't know that. I don't recognize most of these people. At Ted one McC point in time, I actually worked with one of his uh, nephews. Wow. What a strange coincidence. Um, uh, okay, one last thing on college. Yes. I went up to college at Marquette, okay? And I was a total Midwestern, -er, and, and, I, and my, my viewpoint didn't necessarily get broadened at Marquette. I remember everybody was also happy about their roommates and someone pointed out my roommate and I was such a jerk about it because he, he looked like he was in Flock of Seagulls. I was like, oh my God. Because he looked at me and smiled and he could see in my face like, oh, my God, no. I actually apologized to him at the five-year reunion. I was like, God, I was not cool to you. Um, so I'm surprised that he looked at you and smiled. I mean, who is this guy that he's looking at? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I didn't have the long hair. But uh, um, but anyway, so it, it is an emotional time. I, I, I certainly cried at it. But I think that it's – oh, we didn't even let in chat GPT. That's okay. We'll get chat GPT next time. I um, – I, I did want to, I, I was, we'll do it next time. I was, I was curious to ask chat GPT, what, what, uh, what, um, what are those called? Uh, the, every year you set those intentions. What are they called? Um, New year's resolutions. Resolutions. I was wondering if, if chat GPT, any resolutions. Um, anyway, so it's a good bridge to our, 
exciting and final <clears throat> topic that we're going to have sponsor this someday for sure. We're going to get a sponsor. Bausch and Loam. Now <laughs> for the Bausch and Loam Real Men Cry segment. All right. We got Invisible Tears by Bausch and Loam. <laughs> we got lots to choose from. Um, you want, you, want, you want to go first or you want me to go first? I'm happy to go first because okay, it'll tie in with something I mentioned at the very beginning. Perfect. So this was something that I was thinking about. Um, I was thinking about Tom Cruise, of all people. Oh, uh, you, know, you know I canceled him? You canceled him? Yeah, go ahead. Keep going. But really? I canceled him from this podcast. He's the only person I've canceled. My goodness. Well, anyways, we, the, I'm afraid. To do I'm, with... I'm sorry to bring him up. Oh, my God. I, I, I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no, I just, just, he's the only guy I've ever canceled. Anyway, go ahead. So Tom Cruise, obviously is somebody who's come back into uh, the public attention yet again, because of course he's a great movie star, but more recently he had this movie, Top Gun Maverick, which is probably the most popular movie of the year. Yeah. And what's interesting to me is how Tom Cruise has progressed in his career to the point where essentially the line is blurred between Tom Cruise and the characters he plays. And here's what I mean. Okay. What do we know about Tom Cruise at this point in time? Besides the fact that, you know, he's a Scientologist, right. and, but that's really a sideline. Okay. What side he cares line. more about than anything else is movie making. Okay. He loves making movies. He cares passionately about making movies. We sometimes have those leaked audio yeah. of Tom Cruise ranting at people, talking about how important it is, yeah. the work that they're doing. He believes so strongly in movie making and he continues to push himself, you know, beyond all normal bounds of of human aging and physicality yeah. to do these crazy stunts, right? Because and he does them not because he has some strange desire to risk his life. Sometimes people joke, oh, you know, Tom Cruise wants to die while he's making a movie. Mm-hmm. It's more along the lines of he knows that's what's going to amaze the movie going audience. That's what's going to be so impressive to them. And then you have these characters of his like Pete Mitchell and Top Gun, who's hanging on long after he should have retired. Yeah. Right. Doing a young man's game, even though he's an yes. old man, his contemporaries are 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 in a completely different place. And he's still trying to go out there and play shirtless football or what have you. Yeah. Ben Roethlisberger. Basically. And it made me think about and then I saw what I saw that I thought was so fascinating was Tom being interviewed at the first red carpet for Top Gun Maverick. And he did not quite cry, but he okay. did get emotional about it. Because this was the thing he had been waiting for for all this time, right? He had been waiting to be able to return to this portion of of the movie making magic uh, to share something he created with the world in person with all these other people around him. And he very nearly cried. And that then led me to watch one of the instances of Tom Cruise. If you look up Tom Cruise crying on YouTube, Uh the main result that will come up is his one of his final scenes from the movie Magnolia by Paul Thomas Anderson. I don't know if you know the movie. I have not seen it. I've seen bits. That's it. In the movie, Tom Cruise, in what many people consider his greatest piece of acting, plays a motivational speaker and pickup artist who is estranged from his father, played by Jason Robards, who's very sick. Oh, yeah. And who abandoned him. 
Mm-hmm. And Tom Cruise's own father essentially abandoned him, was a very distant figure. And so many people are like, he's really drawing on his own life for this. Mm-hmm. And he goes to visit his father on his father's deathbed. In the movie. In the movie. Yeah. And he does break down and cry. But before he does, he's like, you cocksucker, I'm not going to cry for you. I refuse wow. to cry for you. And but in the end, you know, and this is the way that, you know, at least one of the commenters described, which I think is correct. This is what attributed. I don't want to claim that I came up with this on myself. But uh-huh. in the end, he does cry. And it's pretty showy, weepy stuff. It's like, you know, face scrunch and all these yeah. things. And I'm thinking to myself, this is not I don't know if this is the way that Tom Cruise would actually cry in real life. But maybe it is because maybe this is him expressing his feelings about his own father. But part of it is. Why would you cry after saying, you cocksucker, I'm not going to cry for you? Well, the first is it doesn't matter how shitty this person was mm-hmm. and how much, how badly they oh, mistreated no. you, how badly they yeah. mistreated your mom. Still your father. Yeah. And you cannot escape the fact that he's your father. And yep. there is a relationship there, no matter how twisted, yeah. that exists. And the second is, and this is the part where I give credit to the to the commenters, saying you know this is also somebody who coming face to face with this person he's hated for so long realizing the emptiness of that hate realizing that all that hate yeah that burned him for so long that drove him for so long wasn't helping him wasn't there for a reason wasn't something he needed to feel did the movie end there I know. Actually, I don't know. I've never seen okay. the movie. I just okay. happened to look at this clip oh, right. on YouTube you and then read the Wikipedia summary of of, okay. of Magnolia because you know that's how I intake information. <laughs> right. It's it's the cliff notes of movies online. That's a great story. God, mine is not nearly as good. Um, but I've got two. Uh, uh, the first one is uh, when it happened to uh, Devin Hamlin. Is that his name, Devin Hamlin? Uh, the the yes so you're the safety of, who had a safety. cardiac arrest on field yes. by the way did you see his uh his donation toy group went from like twenty five hundred dollars to eight million crazy you know I, I think it's an incredible story and it sounds he's been discharged from the hospital yeah. and yeah. you know I don't know if he's ever going to play again but certainly it feels like you know it was one of these things where he died on the field oh, that's and, crazy. You know, to see him come back from that and to see him, to see the entire community rally around him has been inspiring. Yeah. Well, they, they showed a lot of scenes of reactions of players. And the one that moved me the most was there's a player on Buffalo called, it's either Tredavious White or something like Traverius yes, White or tra- something like that. Tra- I, th- I think it's Tredavious White. He is one of the fellow defenders. And he's, one, he's one of the best. He's one of the best, yeah. like either safeties or corners in the league. And then there's a center called Mitch Morris, who used to play for the Chiefs. And he's this big strapping white dude and and he and he's crying into his arms i was like really touched by that um he has his arm around him um just to be know. clear it's damar hamlin i wanted to look at damar hamlin okay damar, damar hamlin. hamlin yeah yeah um but like uh, um morris God, i can't remember his name now mitch morris he looks like he should be in the wwe he's got like a bald head and and like really like like sort of Russian whatever like the little yeah, goatee the, things the manly yeah. goatee yeah yeah, drug yeah, yeah. goatee and he's like he's like comforting him like just with such heart man it moved me um, so the th- I think this actually is going to be a violation of our rule again but I saw the Netflix series Wednesday mm-hmm. which yes. is amazing that that series is amazing 
but there is a small point in the movie where one of the characters has the parents visit on parents weekend and the mom is overbearing and the dad does not say a single word. Um, and I won't go into the details because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. It's such a good thing, but the whole, it's, it's like the whole trip's like that. And then she leaves and it's just her and her dad. And he says something like, um, what does he say? He says, um, I don't know if it's, I'm proud of you or something like that, but he said, you do you. And, um, and he, he was this gruff kind of, he looked like the guy from, uh, babe, uh, I can't remember James Cromwell, name. James Cromwell. Yeah. Cause he was like a, he was just, he had, he had a, like an Irish sort of beard or something like that. I think he said, um, gosh, I can't remember what he said, whatever. Um, but that, because she had, she had just taken on her mother. Yes. And he's witnessing this event. And he sees the, the courage of his daughter to take on his mom because his mom's overbearing. I mean, her mom's overbearing. And uh, basically the, the thing that wouldn't give it away is th they're wolves and she has not wolfed out yet. And it's just all this pressure right. to do that. That's right. It's pressure to do it. What does he say? So I know I'm, I'm trying to, I'm actually trying to go look up your Facebook account because I remember you posted about it. And so I did. I'm trying if, to, if you look to at, find it. Yeah. If, by the way, that, I, that review, I, I put out in public and um, I uh, boosted it just to see what happened. It got like 2,500 likes, 30 shares. 38 shares. So Enid's father. Yes. Says, just tells her, I'm proud of you, kiddo. You do you. Yes. When he said that I went waterworks, I was yeah. just like, Oh my God, that's so cool. Um, so that's, those are my two. Uh, and and I, I can't really frame much about it because you know, the both, both of the situations that I have, it's like, there's not much more to say about it, at least not now, but uh, there is one more thing to say. We know that. Cause I think we're done. Right. Yes, I believe we are. And so, Tim, do you want to take it away? I do want to take it away. Um, I love you, Chris. I love you, Tim.